Looking for an extraordinary coffee? Look no further than Heartwork Coffee. With eight years of excellence and proudly roasting in the vibrant city of San Diego, California, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to explore a wide range of single origin and blended coffees to suit your taste preference. On a personal note, co-founder Rob Moran has played in so many bands that have inspired me personally, like Unbroken and Some Girls, for example, and it's been amazing watching Heartwork thrive all these years. The coffee is amazing, and I'm thrilled to support this company. Once again, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to place an order. That is H-E-A-R-T, work, coffeebar.com. Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week for episode 165 is musician and TikTok comedy legend. I feel like that's safe to say. It's Petey. He has a full U.S. tour starting November 3rd in Atlanta, then a few month-off breaks, but dates leading all the way till May 11th of next year in support of his brand new album, USA, which is out now. It was great getting to uh, hang with this man, who has made me chuckle on quite a few occasions with his very specific absurdist brand of humor. He is a great songwriter, and uh, USA is a very enjoyable record. I also want to let you know if you're new here, that there is a bonus episode available right now where PD answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can access that bonus episode by going over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. You can subscribe for as little as $3 a month and get access to that, plus a plethora of other bonus episodes, Discord channel access, uh, stupid little videos I put up. We talk about records. We talk about what we're listening to. Um, all sorts of stuff, recommendations galore. Also, if you uh, are new here and you enjoy this, please subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you are listening to this. It helps support the show, leaving a positive rating and review. Those things make my heart fucking huge. And uh, I really appreciate it so much. Um, lastly, I'll say Touche Amore just announced full U.S. tour dates with Death Heaven. You can check dates over on toucheamore.com slash tour. All right, without further ado, here is my conversation with the talented, the hilarious, the kind. It's Petey. What's going on, Petey? It's nice to uh, officially meet you. Uh, you just mentioned you're in Chicago. How long have you been uh, hanging there? What's up, dude? Yeah, it's great to be here. Um, I've been in Chicago for the past two weeks. So I was up in northern Michigan, actually, like in the lower peninsula for like four days um hanging out before the album release and then got to chicago just in time for um yeah releasing the album on the 22nd which um on that day i actually got to throw out the first pitch at the cubs game 
to no celebrate. So yeah, that was a nice little bucket list thing and a great way to kick off the record. So, okay, so yeah, how, definitely how, like how'd you do? How how was your throw? I threw it into the dirt because there's absolutely nothing that could compare like prepare you for a a full ninety foot throw. It is so much farther than you can ever imagine. So you know, people were. I, I got. I got a couple of booze, but I had enough family and friends there where uh, I felt supported enough. Yeah, <laughs> it was do a you feel like it, it, Do you feel like it's a very Chicago thing to have them boo the guest? Uh, totally. <laughs> yeah, that's when I feel like those. The, you know, the cultural parodies between like Chicago and and Boston and Philadelphia kind of align. Is that you know the sports fandom is like super passionate and like, yeah. it's amazing but it can also it all, it, it, it can be brutal in the, the wrong moments but it was great I, w- I wonder if there's like i mean i don't know who um is booking the people who are throwing the first pitch but i gotta say it feels like in the last month there's a lot more rockers doing it like turnstile i know got the throw one uh yeah the sincere engineer also i think maybe in chicago recently just threw one I saw um, the turnstile photo and I was pumped for them, especially because the Orioles are having such a good year. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like that. My publicist was like, "All right, like, what? Like, I, I'm not like a super like internety guy." Yeah. So she was just like, "All right, so what? You know, throw out some ideas for some stuff that that you would want to do." And that was like, you know, kind of my first and only choice. So I was like, "If we can make this happen, that'd be really sick." And sure enough, she asked, and you know, thankfully, there's enough baseball games in a regular season where I think they were probably fresh out of people to, <laughs> to, to keep throwing out the the pitches but I'm super happy I got the opportunity and it was a great game had such a good yeah. day it I was about was to awesome. say how was the actual game did they win they won yeah and they needed to but they're they're blowing it right now so fingers crossed for the last you know week and a half of the season to see if we can squeak in that final wild card spot but it's not looking good <laughs> Um, so you mentioned you were hanging in Detroit and then you're now you're in Chicago. Uh, I had read that you were born in Detroit, but grew up in Chicago. Did you spend many years in Detroit and like, did you end up going back and forth a lot? What's that relationship? So I moved to Chicago when I was about around seven or eight. Uh, but yeah, I was born in Detroit and then, uh, my whole mom's side of the family pretty much lives in Grand Rapids. And then we had uh, still some family friends in Detroit. So I've been going back and forth between Michigan and Chicago my whole life, pretty much. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Did you ever know any of the law dispute guys? Because they're Grand Rapids. Like, did the Mm-mm. no? No. Interesting. I just uh, feel like it's such a small town. So I was just curious, out of my own, you know, curiosity. Yeah, I hadn't spent much time in the city of Grand Rapids until um, until recently. I, just, I sort of like recently discovered. I I, I don't know. I, I've been loving touring mostly because I get to like. See all these like really cool, like mid to small size Midwestern towns that are like super cool. So it's like I love Grand Rapids, I love Davenport, Iowa, I love Des Moines, Iowa. Um, I don't know, they're all just they all have like a very specific sort of like main streety look about them that I've I've really come to enjoy. I've been you know I talk about it with friends that tour all the time where there's like the few cities or states that definitely don't get the love that they deserve in terms of like, not every tour goes through there, but anytime you play there, they're always awesome. And I think Des Moines and Iowa city are, are high on that list where it's like, why isn't this just a regular tour stop? It should be, you know, for sure. I felt like I was super lucky because my first, 
on my first tour, half the shows were opening for Manchester Orchestra, and they have such a like southeast stronghold. So I felt like I got to play like a lot of big rooms in you know some southeast cities that I would never be able to hit like headlining. Um, so just to see places like you know Columbia, South Carolina, and Raleigh and Little Rock, and just sort of like falling in love with that whole zone. And each city was just like so uniquely cool. Um, and it just felt like a really special experience and especially like, just like tailing behind a, a huge band. Uh, so that was, was your, nice. I mean, I guess we're jumping ahead. We'll get to that in a little bit, but oh, like sure, that, yeah, yeah. that was actually, that was actually your first tour. It was my first like proper tour. Yeah. So That's we had done, done a couple like flyouts here and there, but to, for my first record, that was the, it was like half headlining and, and half opening for them. And that was the first like real deal. So I went to. Uh, I caught a couple of songs of you because I went to the Southern California date of that, of that Manchester tour. Manchester, just unreal. Just an unreal yeah. live band. It almost makes oh you mad. Gosh. Yeah. You know, yeah. they are so dialed. They're so dialed. And it's so funny because, you know, Andy is probably like, like maybe five years older than me. Yeah. And I have to remember he's, they've been on the road for 17 years, which is, which is like crazy. since he was a, teenager it's crazy yeah. Yeah. yeah and like andy hall one of the best dudes in in the world but uh yeah. i mean that that whole band are, are also wonderful but also just like watching andy prince play bass yeah where you're awesome. just like like dude come real, on man real, like real rock, rock star hours he's able to like rock out in such a sort of cinematic way but like not be corny which i i don't know how it works i think it's just because he's such a handsome dude that always helps but, yeah, it, uh, uh, yeah. I, I've definitely given him shit before because I'm like, not only are you like the most ripping bass player who just like mm. on the fly can just do the sickest like leads and stuff like that on the bass, but like you're also handsome and you can like skateboard really good. Like, well, yeah, how, did, kick how, did, yeah. How, how did all of this happen? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, Andy, he's like oh, on his off time. I follow him on Instagram. He's always just yeah. like in a river, like fly fishing, like catching trout, and just like right. right. If I could switch, if I could trade places, man, like you, you got to figure it out. Totally, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, the the. It's funny, and I back to Turnstile. I attribute a lot of their success, aside from just them being a brilliant band and and wonderful people, to the fact that you just look at them and you're like, everybody in this band can kick flip. Mm. <laughs> for sure yeah yeah like, yeah top 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 three coolest things a guy could do yeah, yeah. i've uh <laughs> i i rollerbladed so i think that explains a lot about me <laughs> that's cool i mean i feel like you know rollerbladers caught a bunch of flack in high school but like now i think you could totally flip that and make it such like a cool like unique part of your personality were you rollerblading like in skate parks like on ramps and stuff uh not well I was always intimidated because we had the bad rep. So like, uh, but yeah. I was definitely the kid that was like, you know, I tried to, you know, I was grinding, doing some, doing rails and stuff like that. Hell yeah. You know? Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Uh, but that's awesome. I, I got, I hurt myself one time and I was like, yeah, I'm going to go back to music. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Lord knows you can't do both. I mean, it's the liability. It's like, you know, it's like playing in a, playing in a professional sport. You have it in your contract. You can't like ride a motorcycle or whatever. Cause you could get hurt. And I feel like the, you know, I feel like bands should, I feel like Manchester orchestra should make Andy Prince sign a contract being like, Hey, while we're trying to do stuff, oh. can't be doing uh can't be doing the, the skateboarding. We, we were on tour of the band last year. Who's a drummer uh broke his wrist in a skateboarding oh. accident in the middle of the tour and oh my gosh and yeah, uh, it, but then 
created the most camaraderie I have ever witnessed on a tour, which like really brought everybody together where it just so happened that several members of several different bands on the tour all could play drums. So everybody came together within 24 hours and still were able to play their set. Like like, our drummer played a song, uh, two members of military gun uh, played drums for, it was just like, it was the That's coolest awesome. thing. Awesome. Yeah. So was, so each person only had to learn like one or two songs? Yeah, it was the it was the band Vane, uh, that they were the one who whose drummer uh got hurt. And then yeah, it was like military gun members played drums. Like because it was three members of military gun that were all able to play drums, and then our drummer, and then I think the drummer of Scowl as well. Like everybody just came together and figured it out. It was oh my gosh. It was the best camaraderie ever, where it was just like That's amazing. This is, yeah, yeah. That's it, so cool. It's like uh was it that like the remember uh that movie that thing you do yeah oh yeah, yeah where he's just like yeah. <laughs> i know he, i think he was the drummer because the whole it was he was the drummer and then guy patterson had to fill in for him and then oh, there's that yeah. scene where he's he's in the audience with the cast and he's just like it's too fast man it's too fast You're and then that right. like launches the band in a into you know stardom yeah but i always yeah, thought yeah, that, yeah. that was a funny scene Oh, totally. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, well, let me ask you when you, so, you know, obviously we're going to focus on like majority music here. We're going to, we're well, mixing some comedy stuff because obviously that's a huge part of your life as well. But sure. uh, when, when it comes to music, when you were growing up, what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours? Maybe not something that was being played in the house by, you know, parents or something like that, but something yeah. that you found that kind of gave you a sense of your own identity. Um. I was still living in Detroit, so I must have been like six years old. So I know I didn't buy this with my own money, but I do remember making the choice to have maybe it was like a babysitter or like a family friend or a cousin or something buy me the Everclear tape of So Much for the Afterglow. Oh, um, yeah. Because I was just like in love with the title track of that song. So I'm going to show me that. That's the first song I ever remember like loving and and wanting to listen to it on my own. Uh, and I must've been like six years old. So I got the tape and um, I think, yeah, I think my mom saw that, you know, found the tape and then like plugged it into her speaker system to listen to it. And the opening track is such a loud, like rock song. I think she got nervous that like it was going to like hurt my ears or something. So she oh. was she kind of like, like, you know, like was scared about me listening to music that loud being so young. Like we're not even talking about like using rational, like, well, you can just turn, turn the volume down. And, you know, all, the, <laughs> yeah. all, all music can be quiet if you just turn the volume down. But that's, that's the first tape I remember buying. And then I had this like little plastic case where I had uh, cassette tapes. Yeah. Um, and thinking about what tapes I had is so funny because I had that one, but I think the rest of them were just boy bands. Um, which is such a funny thing to have a cassette tape of, like Backstreet Boys and Sync, and then like I think I have like a ninety-eight degrees tape, which I I to this day I couldn't even tell you what a ninety-eight degrees song is. I know that like Nick Lachey was famously in that band, but yeah, that's that's about it. I remember the cover of it that was red. You know, it's funny. It's yeah. like I I don't know that I ever really fully think about. I mean, we 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 got some years between us age wise, but like mm. you know when I talk to people more in my age bracket, 
about first music stuff a lot of times they'll say you know like anthony green for example was someone i remember just being like michael jackson for me i also loved mike like thriller and all that stuff as a kid yeah but i guess i don't really ever think about and it makes total sense how if you're like six years old how the boy band movement of like the late 90s early 2000s also totally translated for that because it is the same stuff it is just like you can't escape those pop hooks and how that for sure connects to a kid for sure and it's just like at that time if you just like turned on the tv you would it's just there yeah the, you would see the backstreet boys it's just there so it's like you lived in a world where there was just like you know ev- everyone's just sort of this is just everywhere you know yeah what um, what how did you find ever was it was it like a song on the radio was it it my neighbor showed me and oh, okay. i don't know if he was an older kid or what but yeah, he. I, I heard that the title track so much for the afterglow. It's just like that, you know, the choir in the beginning, and I, 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 you know, I think it's just like his voice, obviously, over and over again. But um, and then just I, just, I just loved that song. I thought it was the it was the first time I became like cognizant of what like catchiness was. Yeah. Uh, and is that a record that I just, stayed with you like throughout your yeah. life? Like, is that like still one of your favorite records? It is, yeah. I was just on the, the I did the Zane Lowe podcast, and he was like, "What you know? What it's inspiring the new album?" I was like, basically just like the CDs that are in my truck right now because I've got like a six CD changer." Um, and I told him that Everclear was in there. He was laughing about the CDs thing because I still listen to CDs, but then he was just like, "Oh, not only are you listening to CDs, but like you're listening to Everclear and it's inspiring your new record. Like that's hilarious." Um, yeah, but it's still. I, I bought I you know I rebought it obviously on CD like six months ago um, when I got this new car and yeah I've been jamming that album constantly I love it I, yeah I, you know, I I can really like teeter into like to some like nineties like all all pop stuff like I, I I love a lot of that stuff it's I mean it's 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 a very classic sound um I remember the first the record I think it was the record before that is one that has Santa Monica on it right like that mm-hmm. big single yeah. yeah that's one of those yeah. songs that like if you learn it on guitar once any mm-hmm. you know it's just like if someone hands you a guitar you pick up a guitar it's like hard to not just play the ding 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 yeah <laughs> you know it's that like, was that, that was glycerin by Bush for me but uh I know the feeling yeah. yeah or brains another... brains too right which yeah uh is it oh no uh glycerin is also very similar to when i come around from green day yeah it's, it's only yeah. just like it's just the slower version of it you know yeah definitely definitely um so what uh, what was your first uh well i guess you mentioned you know getting getting the cassette so i'm actually curious uh what was your first concert my first concert was going to see REM at the Auditorium Ooh. Theater in Chicago, which is great. Yeah, it was. Wow. Yeah, that was like a life changing experience. REM is my dad's favorite band. I kind of like grew up thinking that like, you know, REM is massive, obviously. But I grew up thinking that REM was the Beatles, which would I think might be kind of like a pretty unique thing to just like my household. But like, yeah, they were definitely like they were definitely like gods in my household. And so just to see them and like, so the auditorium theater is this beautiful theater. Like it's really old. It's like, it looks like an opera house. Um, so I kind of like, it was, re- it was really crazy to go see that concert as, uh, 
probably a nine-year-old and be like, oh, this is what rock concerts are. This is what venues are. Uh, it, it was wild. It was super fun. Um, I'm so and, jealous. Yeah, it kind of changed I my life. love REM. Never seen them live. That's so oh, cool. That's so they're, cool. They're a perfect live band. They, I mean, they're and even their live CDs, I think, are better than their their studio records which is great yeah. I, and that's something i always love about like late 90s bands too uh but yeah it was a great time it was awesome do you did you end up like I, you know how like stuff that your parents are into you sort of maybe re, not so much rebel against but like you just think of it as your parents music did you mm-hmm. always appreciate them or did you end up having a more appreciation for them as you got older um i started having a, an appreciation and really enjoying hearing the music around the house. And then I didn't reject it. I just sort of like forgot about it. Yeah. And then as I got older, I sort of just like those memories got brought back as I was like sort of reintroduced to them without re I, cause when, when you're younger, I feel like, you know, between when you're like 10 years old, you're not getting your mind blown by music. I don't, you yeah. know what I mean? Or at least that, you're just like, this is what music is. And this is all music. And the music that's playing in my house is just, this is what music sounds like. Totally. Uh, what I didn't know is that the music that I was playing in my house is like, you know, Prince and Paul Simon and Fleetwood Mac and R.E.M. And then when I started developing my own, like, you know, autonomy and, and, and taste or whatever, I, you know, I found my own bands to listen to. And then when I was an adult, I was just like, oh, my God, well, these this Prince record or this, you know, Graceland or all this stuff, this is absolutely like mind-blowingly incredible um and this is the stuff that i was listening to around the house when i was seven it sounds like your folks have like incredible taste in music were either of them musicians or are i mean or are any of them musicians um not really a a lot of it was informed by and this is kind of another full circle thing this week but i did a a interview with marty leonard's at the xrt so the xrt radio station in chicago Mm -hmm. is 93.1 and that was like sort of like a religion in my house growing up. So it's just like this, this one radio station was on all the time. And it's, it's one of those radio stations where still to this day, you know, the DJs are picking their own set list. That's completely separate from the normal like rotation. Um, And what they played informed what my parents listened to. And then that sort of like informed what I was listening to. Um, So it was all, all good stuff. Yeah. Do you have an REM record you come to come around to most? Well, it's honestly the one that I'm just listening to right now is just called REM Live. And it's got a red. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, the, the one with the red cover and it's perfect. And the versions of those songs are are so good. And they're huge sounding. The drums sound amazing. And they're, they, they just play it perfectly. So I've been just listening to that one. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not too proud to, to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a greatest hits type That's of guy. Fun. Yo, but, yeah, when I'm when, when I'm a band cruising. has <laughs> when a band has that much material and they offer, yeah. it's like the Cure. You know, it's like yeah. exactly like yo, I the Cure has countless brilliant brilliant records, but also there's no yeah. shame in just throwing on that that singles collection. You know, the yeah, best of sure. or, or like or any of that stuff. Like it's, it's yeah. you know, it, or uh, a big one that I might catch catch a flack for that i i prefer listening to like the singles best of is the pixies because there's a lot of stuff 
there's a lot of stuff yeah. to wade through on those records but like they have for so sure. many just straight up bangers that it's like yo give me that give me the greatest hits for for the pixies uh, that's all uh, i really need i was about to say uh smashing pumpkins as well yeah i maybe because of my age i have like a, a big love for like the those first few records but i also completely understand because with that you get also the like the banger tracks from like soundtracks they did which are yeah, yeah. not on records so like i yeah, yeah, totally. i will accept that as a as an okay answer i'm all <laughs> okay. right with it um so uh um when did you start playing music? Because I know you play drums and you play drums in bands, right? So like, was drums yeah. your first instrument or what did you play guitar first? Uh, drums were my first instrument. So yeah, okay. I started playing drums when I was in third grade. It was just because my neighbor had uh, a drum kit that he wasn't using. Um, and I think my mom just asked him if we could, you know, borrow it. If it was, just, you know, I think it was in his basement. It wasn't even set up. So yeah. we set it up in my basement and then I just started drumming away and that was it that was pretty much yeah. it from until uh you know i didn't really start playing guitar until i started writing songs okay uh yeah. and once you started playing drums were you did you take lessons at all was it like did you play it in like the school band or anything like that or was it just kind of like a leisurely thing for you in your basement i took yeah so i started taking lessons after i think my i realized that i was pretty good at it and then uh-huh because of that it was it was kind of like the only thing that i was doing so i did i joined the school band and i played in jazz band and stuff um and i really didn't like it i really had a hard time with it because i never really learned to read music um and i just like didn't have a lot of drive so it with Mm -hmm. the school band stuff i was constantly like um I think just like lying to my professors about being able to read music so it was always like a really like anxious time for me so i'd have the kids that could read music would play the part and then i would always have to like strategically go second or third just so i could Um, copy what what they were doing um but it was just this like little little dance that we were doing but i did it in school because you know it could like wait up my gpa it was the only thing that i was good at and it was kind of like my only hope at for like getting into college when i was in high school so um i noticed that you so you ended up going to Loyola, is that right? In yeah. New Orleans? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you was that for music or was it for other things? Initially it was, and then um I sort of like I did not like I just did not like mixing school and music at all. Um uh, yeah. I didn't like mixing school with anything really. So I just sort of decided to like separate the two after my freshman year and then um just kind of did a you know a business type thing. I don't even know. I don't even like school. School is not something that I like. I, I kind of got done with it. I was like, what the hell was that? Uh, like you felt like yeah. you just had to, you just had to go because it's a part of a life plan and it like, you didn't really enjoy For your sure. time. Yeah. 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 And just sort of like pushing off having to make a life plan kind of. Um, so yeah. It was did you do, did you do four years? Like, I did. I don't know how, because uh, I I don't remember doing anything, um, but I did it. I finished. I finished. Yeah. I still have yeah. nightmares did you that, enjoy- I, that I, I didn't. But uh, <laughs> oh man, no. like you have like the yeah. stress, like the stress clap. Like I didn't yeah, do my homework. Style nightmares. 
that universal dream where I was just like, you know, I, I went to the first day of Spanish class and then just for whatever reason, didn't go back the entire year. Cause I just forgot that I had to go. And then I get to the end and they're like, you haven't gone to Spanish the entire year. I was like, fuck. Oh, I remember I went that first day, but I, I still have that dream. I'm sure everyone <laughs> has a version of that because I've heard about it from so many people, but yeah, uh, but yeah, but it was in New Orleans. So yeah, I had a, I had a great time. I had a, awesome time it was such a cool city living for uh four years and a great diy music scene too a lot of really really awesome special bands uh were there during that time that i got to see in basements which was really cool oh that's awesome yeah i you know i there's the band vow that i feel like is pretty prominent there and like they run a record store and i know the the dudes in that band like book shows and stuff like that but that's you know similarly getting back to like what we were saying about um des moines like new orleans yeah. and baton rouge can kind of be the same thing where it's these hidden gems that like don't get as many shows as they should and then when they do get shows they're always they might be smaller but they're like passionate you know oh yeah 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 they're great there's a couple bands in there like caddy wampus or uh yeah they're just like too good It'd just be just absolutely beyond belief but it, it seemed like it really like um I don't know. I just felt lucky to be able to see it all the time. Totally. Uh, totally. It's great. Yeah. Um, so what, what was your first band? Like when did you start playing in a band? I started playing in a band in eighth grade. And wow. Young. Yeah. It was, it was super fun. Um, and it was just like an indie rock band that we were just like all obsessed with death cap for cutie. And we were trying to do, you know, like a hybrid death cap for cutie, Flash, Fall Out Boy, Take This to Your Grave type thing. And okay. just like, you Elevate, know, combined. <laughs> Elevated pop punk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we kept that going until senior year of high school. It was super fun. Wow. What was that band yeah. called? It was called Sunset and Camden. Hmm. Is that, street, a street, is that like a street crossing? It must have been. Yeah, I didn't. It was our lead singer. It was a special street crossing to him. I think it was like from some old movie or, or something, but I, I never quite got to the bottom of it. And I never really cared either. Uh, yeah. I was just happy to be playing with, with my buds. And we, it, we, were, we were good too. It was really fun. I think our recording still exists somewhere. Interesting. Um, so what was the first show you ever played? The first show that I ever played, probably, you know, I can't, I don't know for sure, but there's one of like three locations that could have been. There was a gazebo in town that always had like you know, you know, bands would set up and play shows for some like in the middle of a park. Yeah, in the middle of a park. Was it just Uh, a situation where like someone found the outlet and was like, "Oh, we could actually just play shows here"? No, it was always like a sanctioned thing. Like it would be like. You know, it would be like a uh, benefit, like an anti-depression benefit or like a depression awareness benefit or something or like, or like something like there was this thing called like skate against hate. So I, I don't know okay. where, what any of the, the organizations were, but it was always yeah. tied to something like that. Um, and there were always emo bands playing. The other one was just like in the basement of the community center, um, which those were always fun ones. And then there was another community center in the town over. and then. For the really, really, really cool shows, uh, there was a kid who like rented out this banquet hall and he started his own like booking company. So he would like actually like hire out like sound guys to like wire up 
the little banquet stage with like monitor stuff and like make it as close as possible to like a real sounding venue that he could and you know charge tickets at the door and stuff so those are pretty fun shows too so did a, yeah. did a handful of those not sure which one was first though but it all kind of revolved around the same couple years how how close in timeline is like you playing in jazz band and then you starting a band like is it a is it happening around the same time yeah around the same time so it's just okay. like you go to you go to high school as like a freshman in high school and so i was playing a band and stuff and you would start looking at extracurriculars and it's like yeah i'll play drums during school that sounds great so it's just like yeah it, it gives you an excuse to do it totally it, um, exactly yeah but no i guess what i was leading to is like was your having to do like you know recital assembly or or however it was performing in the jazz band did that like set you up to feel less nervous playing in front of people in like a show setting like were you ever nervous in that regard like what do you remember from performing i was never nervous playing drums ever um which is crazy because i get so nervous being a singer um but i was i always just like it was just always super fun to me but but i i never got nervous playing drums um playing in jazz band i think so i i've had drum lessons to play in jazz band because it's so much more technical it's so much more like rudimentary based so i would definitely like have to like drill the rudiments and stuff which in turn like helped me a lot with like the pop punk drumming because it just like made my single strokes like super dialed and i just said like had proper form and technique and anything and everything which just like helps a lot with stamina and and all that stuff so um so yeah, that definitely helped. But yeah, never never got nervous playing drums. Always just like it was just always my favorite thing. Hey there. Do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. Uh, one of the questions that I that I kind of uh, forgot to ask is when you started playing drums, was there a certain record or was there a certain song that you remember playing to the first time and realizing like you got it? Like, were you playing to like, to like Everclear or like, do you the remember first, any of that? Well, the first drum beat I ever learned, and I remember this like it was yesterday, but I was in like third grade and I heard the beat for the song Elevator by Boxcar Racer. Uh-huh. And there's something about the tempo of that song and the way that the beat is like so sparse where like a really like young brain I could process like what syncopation was for the first time so instead of just hearing like oh that's the drummer playing drums it, it's just that that drum beat it's it's so simple but it's so it's laid out in such a way and it's such a tempo where like a little kid could be like oh his foot is doing this his right hand is doing this and his left hand is doing this and you can like piece that together and i had never been you know i never like thought about piecing that together before so once i was able to like learn that drum beat and realize like oh i'm capable of having you know three limbs do 
three completely different things. Um, it completely, it just like opened the door where I was like, oh, now I can like learn drum beats, you know, because that's what it is. Totally. Uh, do you feel like you're like when, when it comes to writing music or even thinking about music, do you find yourself being like a visual learner like that? Cause that sounds like something more visual as opposed to like Sonic, you know, where you're like, oh, I could see how this is how like the arms would be doing this. The foot would be doing this, especially catching that at a young age. Yeah, I think it was like a combination of both. I think it was just like being able to like close my eyes and imagine what, you know, yeah, like I could see his right hand playing the hi-hat. I could see his left hand playing the snare. And then just like I knew what his foot was doing. And and once I figured that out, it's like, you know, it's just like kind of a light bulb moment. It's like, this is like kind of like the foundation for like any beat that I could learn, you know, within the pretty like pretty standard uh, pop punk universe the first record that i started playing along to the first two were actually nm of the state and then um commit this to memory by motion city soundtrack i was like obsessed with those drum parts um, <laughs> i was gonna say do you yeah. think that if it was anyone other than travis barker it would have connected because like especially to a third grade to you know like someone in third grade he he looks yeah. like what you think a cool person looks like <laughs> for sure yeah i'm just like closing my eyes like the guy from meet the barkers is playing this drum beat and i can totally visualize that yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. that's awesome so you mentioned that uh that your first band recorded so what do you remember from your first recording experience i remember having a lot of fun because we um we did it with our friend who was older and in high school and so i, I remember yeah being in the studio and tracking drums was like my favorite thing i just remember being euphoric about like how I was spending my time and I felt productive for the first time and I felt like I was doing something that I was good at for the first time um because it really yeah it was nice like I I, I was I was able to like play to a click really well and like do all the fills and like everything that I wanted to do. So it was kind of like, Oh, okay. Now I know I can do that. That cool. was actually going to be, that was going to be my follow-up question was, was like, had you already practiced and like, were you comfortable with a metronome or was that something that got introduced to you in the studio? That was something that got introduced to me in the studio. And I, I just sort of remember like sitting down with my headphones on being like, am I going to be able to do this? And then right away I was like, Oh, okay, this is easy. I can do it. Did it become like a helpful tool in a way? Like, cause I know some drummers, mm. once they like figure it out, it becomes kind of almost an obsession with them where they like focus on the BPMs of certain things when it comes to writing or even playing live. Like, was that, did it ever go further like that? I think it was a helpful tool in that, especially with like, you know, having that knowledge, especially like going into recording my own records. It's just like when I can sort of conceptualized drum beats in my head like a i know that i can play them and b i know that i can record them which is really nice to know as like i'm sitting there not at a drum set but like writing songs um yeah so yeah that that knowledge is is super helpful in the writing process because we're like okay i know that i can do this i know this is possible this is what the drum beats can sound like and you can sort of like hear it in your head before you lay it down I was going to ask if when it came to writing your music for, for the, for the PD records and stuff like that, um, you know, there, I noticed that not to jump ahead too much, but I noticed that there's, there's songs that are sort of more like, you know, keyboard electronic driven. And then there's songs that are more, you know, straightforward guitar and things like that. And like, I'm wondering 
if when you start writing music if you have like it does it start with a beat does it start with a guitar line that you say maybe that'll translate better to a keyboard like how Mm -hmm. do you go about starting that process um i mixed it up a tiny bit for this last record but 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 um just a tiny bit but the when i first started recording music it was all creating loops on logic so Mm. i would just like go in and not play the keyboard because i didn't have a I don't use MIDI keyboards and don't really know how to play keyboard, but I would go in and type in MIDI notes to the grid on Logic and sort of change the synth sounds, which whatever stock is available. I'm not really, I didn't go down like the VST thing or anything. And so I would just create these loops and then um, loop that over and over and write vocal melodies to that, write lyrics to that. Um, Have it in my head what the drums and guitar and, and bass were going to do around it um but i wouldn't lay that down until i would get in the studio so i, I basically just like write the songs all to like you know synth loops that sounded like polyphonic ringtones that i all like hand plugged in yeah. on my computer and then i would go into the studio print out the midi um and if we wanted to keep the midi we would like plug that into a real deal synth and then record drums record everything else sort of around that and many times, like, re-record the MIDI stuff um, by, you know, by hand. So it just, like, sounded a little bit more human. Um, Got it. But a lot of the MIDI stuff still still makes it into the records, including the last one. Um, so what, I noticed you played drums in the band Young Jesus for a certain amount of time. I don't um, – did you end up touring with that band? Like, was that the first band you toured with? Yeah, the first tour I ever went on with was with Young Jesus. And it was, like, a much – um different version of that band and i was 19 years old so it was like is almost that pre, 12 years ago was that pre going to new orleans for college yeah no i think okay. it might have been the summer uh, after my freshman year yeah uh, I, I don't know a ton about that band i know that they were on saddle creek and i know they they're still they're still active right from what i understand um yeah, yeah. they have a they have you know they've been around for a while did you play on records as well i did yeah the last record i played on for them was a record called grow decompose and that was um it was like four records ago or something okay um, was that one of the ones that yeah. was on saddle creek no it was the one right before okay it was the one right before so yeah i i i, I recorded that record with uh with them in chicago and then they moved to la and then I moved to LA like shortly after and mm-hmm. I was just kind of just focused on like making a living, doing whatever. I wasn't yeah. like super like I'm going for music. Um, so I played a couple shows with them, but I was just like so burnt out with like working my job and whatever that I was just like, this isn't really for me right now. So I kind of stepped down and they, they figured it out. Sure. How was yeah. your first touring experience though like was it something that you enjoyed and like felt the need to want to keep doing it obviously you're touring you're you know you're about to be touring a lot with pd uh as, yeah. as that as your main focus but like did you get the bug for it early on and like how long was your first tour it was i think three weeks and it was um it was really fun and, and just being a drummer was so fun because like like i said i, I don't have a lot of anxiety around playing drums so it's just very like I just felt like I was kind of along for the ride and I got to play drums and 
see um, new cities, that whole thing. And see new cities, go to New York City for the first time and see different areas, like realize like how beautiful Pennsylvania is, stuff like that. Just like find out a whole lot of fun secrets about the country that you can only really figure out if you're doing like a DIY tour. Yeah. Uh, I'm three years younger than the the older two guys in the band uh, at that time. So, you know, at that time, yeah, I think I was 18 and they were 21. So when you have like that sort of age gap, like they seem a lot older than obviously sure. three years now. So they assumed all the responsibility of like ev- everything pretty much. So I just sort of like felt like a little kid string along, just, you know, drinking beers yeah. and, and having fun. Okay. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Um, yeah. So, uh, do I have any other? Have you done Europe yet? Uh, no, no. Not okay. Yet. Do you have any dates yeah. for that? Not yet, but uh, soon, I believe. I'm being okay. I'm being told soon. So, oh, that's yeah. exciting. You stoked? I, I'm yeah. I'm really stoked. I'm really stoked. It's so funny. It's like touring for me now. Um, just like as the 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 guy who's running it all comes with, I feel like a, like a lot more pressure and anxiety. So it's hard for me to get excited for it until it's actually happening. And I realize it's no big deal. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of like how I, I operate with that. Totally. Totally. Uh, okay. I think yeah. this, uh, we'll do a quick segue here before we get into like talking about uh, the PD music side. Uh, I want to talk sure. to you a little bit about the comedy side. Um, yeah. When like, were you connecting with comedy super early on too, as a kid? Like were the, was that like a huge part of your personality and like, what was your first intro into like, do you remember the first thing you connected with uh, when it comes to comedy? Yeah, I think I, I I never like thought about this until I started doing the TikTok thing and people started, you know, liking it so much. Um, And everyone always asked if I had like a background and stuff and I really didn't, but I, I realized that I was like, consuming so much comedy stuff and sort of like being obsessed with it and rewatching it um without realizing that it was a part of my identity um but stuff like flight of the concords and portlandia um which i think yeah it's probably pretty easy to pretty easy to see from watching the sketches but um and just like i was you know early snl fan but yeah i was just uh workaholics um always sunny just, yeah, sort of just like obsessed with all of it and just like rewatching mm-hmm. it time after time after time. And like, you know, my favorite thing was always just like to laugh at something that I thought was really funny and then watch it for a second time with someone who hadn't seen it and then just sort of be able to like laugh with them. That's always like one of my, still one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Uh, do you have any like comedy heroes, like favorite comedy, like personalities that have sort of stuck with you throughout your life? Yeah, at the first, I had a, like a greatest, like an SNL, um, the best of uh, Dana Carvey mm, yeah. DVD. So I was like obsessed with that, like with like the church lady stuff. And when he did his Tom Brokaw impression. And that got, that's also what got me to Wayne's World too. Or it's just like Wayne's World still one of my favorite movies ever. Yeah. And I still cry laughing watching that. Um, but yeah, he's a big one. Um, Fred Armisen, obviously a big one. Um, like the whole cast of like Reno Nine One One. I don't yeah. know if I don't know if you've ever gone back and ever watched the state. 
Are you familiar with the state at all? No, I miss, I missed that one for what for no reason. I missed. Well, yeah. I mean, you're you yeah. you're much young. I don't. What you? I mean, you were born probably what like in the ninety one. Ninety one. Yeah. So that yeah, the sh- they were their show was canceled in like ninety three. So you know, it's, oh, gotcha. you you, pro- you yeah. properly or actually. Funny enough, so they have, they never officially got canceled. They left they left MTV because they got uh uh I think it was NBC, and then they before their show even fully got picked up, they did like a Halloween special for NBC, and it got such bad ratings that the whole thing yeah. just got fell apart. Which Ugh, it's just so like brutal. The, <laughs> just the wrong move. But yeah, like those guys, yeah. like when it spread apart, you know, a bunch of them went to Reno nine one one. Um, they made yeah. a hot American summer and like all of that sort of stuff. They're actually going to do, uh, they're doing a live tour, which is like this big reunion thing. And, uh, they're playing LA. I'm so excited, but yeah, Reno 911 is like, yeah, so good. All, Just yeah, so good best. with, yeah, uh, best. with your time being in California and stuff, have you met any of your like comedy heroes or anything like that? Have you been involved? Like, have you had any of those opportunities? No, because I haven't, um, I've always, from day one, because I think it's because I started, you know, doing the music project first and, you know, I got this like small indie record deal that sort of set everything off. And then the comedy stuff for me has always been, A, it was just boredom during COVID. It was just like any way to get any sort of following doing anything that could potentially help the music. But it was always just like this, this avenue to just like build a community online that I could share music with essentially. Um, And none of that included ever like wanting to do any live comedy at all. Um, Yeah. I was going to ask if you've you've done any of that, like if you've ever been asked to participate in any live shows in that, in that sort of venue. Not really, because I think, you know, even when you watch my stuff, it's like this, this is obviously not going to translate live (laughs) and I don't have any real interest in, you know, joining like a, a sketch group, like a UCB or anything. I like, I really, that's just, I, I mean, those people are so freaking talented, but I really don't think that's just like in my, in my wheelhouse. Uh, and then stand up, I, I just, I probably wouldn't do either because it's just like not my type of grind. But sure, you know, yeah, God bless the folks who can do that. I just, it's just, it doesn't, I don't know. It's, it's just like not something that I've ever done. So there hasn't been a lot of opportunity for me to like, you know, collaborate or, or interact with, with my, with my comedy fellows, but that's okay because I love, I love being, yeah, I love just being a fan of stuff. Yeah. The best. I was curious because, yeah. you know, like, because they are, you know, like the, the TikToks that you create, like they are obviously skits. So like, I was curious yeah. if, um, when starting that process, like how much is, I'm sure you've been asked this before, but like how much is written out versus how much is just like improv on the fly? Um, it's all written out pretty much. So I write all the dialogue and the, my friend that my friend will, that I shoot everything with, uh, will take my phone from my notes and then read the lines that I wrote. And then I'll just say it back to him. So I don't really mm-hmm. have to memorize anything, but I'm also like not holding a phone. So we do it that way. And yeah. within that process, um, there's always like slight variation. Like I do like my little, like, you know, like stutter talk or I'll like kind of like tr- do like little trail offs or anything. Just like the improv is only to make the conversation seem more natural and real. Yeah. Um, but, but we're not like, you know, improvising entire lines. Okay. Um, everything, everything's pretty premeditated. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, like, you know, to jump to to bring Reno 911 back into this, like when you realize if you watch like behind the scenes stuff about that show, like how much all of those is all just they set up a camera, they have a vague idea of what it is, and then they just roll and they'll just improv for like an hour and then just cut the best parts of it. And I was almost curious if that was maybe a structure thing for when you were making stuff, if like you just kind of rattled off like ideas and stuff and you get all this footage and then you kind of make the best of version of what that is. For sure. I just don't, don't have it because we do it where I'm the only guy in it. So yeah. it's just like, there's no one to like rattle off anything totally. with, you know? So it'd be, that would be a pretty unique set skill set if I could like improvise with like my, a future version of myself and remember everything that I said. Uh, I think that might be like the next evolution of this thing. It would be so insanely dialed, but I don't know if I have the brain capacity for something like that. Uh, It seems tough. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, And then I, you know, a a question I thought of to ask you was like, because it is very absurdist humor, which is like Mm -hmm. the best kind of humor. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, and it, it hits a specific sense of humor. Like that sense of humor isn't always for everybody. Like it, it takes a certain mind to like grasp the absurdity of a lot of those skits or like that kind of energy, which is, which is again, something that I love a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Because it is rooted in such absurdity. Has there been times where you guys have filmed things and then you watch it back and you're like, I don't know that this is going to actually work. Like, Oh, or do- all the time. Okay. Yeah, Most yeah, yeah. of the time. Yeah. I, I, I think like, half of the time but the thing is we we release all of them and then it's all just been fine like some of the stuff where i'm just like oh god this is stupid or this did not turn out the way that it was you're like this one is just like they're all dumb but this one is like really dumb and it ends up being the best one uh so yeah we have put them all i don't think we've thrown out any which is nice wow that's what's so great about that's what's so great about tiktok is you can literally just like toss it i mean it's such a scrolly 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 vibe it's like no one's no one's gonna hold it against you if you if like land yeah yeah for sure and you know on instagram it's become the same way so we really just kind of we're trying everything out for a year and a half i've definitely slowed down since i started doing the music stuff but yeah um i still love doing it and i'm I'm actually like excited for the the dusty saddle and the whole album promo so we can get back to get back to the drawing board and come up with some funny stuff and post totally i have to ask just because i there's a little bit of inside baseball i know where so our touche's manager for a brief time was managing limp biscuit at the time that oh, I think there you, you were at the time that you did the skits with fred and yeah. there was a point where i was like yo is there any way you think i could get fred to come on my podcast and our manager was like he's like on this whole pool boy thing where like that's like his own that's the only way he wants to do anything he's like i don't know he's like he's like so honestly like i don't think you should like it's not even worth trying to do because you can't ask him any fred questions like it would have to be a cool boy character and i was like i don't even know how to respond to that so obviously when you worked with him it was this pool boy character right so like yeah what was he in character the whole time or how did that play out that played out because um so I think you might be, I think in my, so in my sketch that I did with him, 
I think he was just pretty much himself and like game for anything. But we were going to do another sketch at his house where he was going to be in this pool boy character the entire time. And I remember sort of like going through the script with him and it never actually materialized. So I think it, I think that idea popped into his head like right after we did the sketch. Oh, interesting. And then we were we were talking about I I'm trying to rack my brain because that was like two years ago at this point. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. we were texting, and he was texting me, you know, uh, an idea for like a pool boy style sketch. And then I think we both got busy. Yeah, I think he like moved or something, or, or I don't know, but it never actually worked out. But that is really funny. Does he have? Do you feel like he has like an untapped comedy personality? That for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's a goofy guy and he loves it. And he's just like, I think he's just like such a fan of the world. Um, and he's done like sketch stuff before. Like, I think he's done stuff with like Tom Green or like, there's like a bunch of like really fun, like YouTube videos uh, sure. where he's like kind of like in, he goes on shows like in character and stuff. Um, but yeah, super nice dude. Super nice dude. Yeah. Did you great. have, did you have much um, like, uh, uh, connection with Limp Bizkit at all as a young kid and like was that like a surreal moment or was it just like a hey this is just crazy like I can't believe this guy wants was, to do something it, with me it was super surreal and crazy just because I feel like Limp Bizkit that whole thing was you know he was so famous at a time when you know it's like the late 90s where the only time you heard about famous people was in like tabloids and just yeah like, you didn't have a choice with and TRL you, you have, is obviously huge yeah and, oh yeah for sure. So it's like that sort of like celebrity era is just like such its own thing and so just hard to wrap your head around like how big everything was because it felt it felt like it was like such a small pool. But uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, and just like all the, like the lore around Limp Bizkit when you're like a, a, a nine year old boy or like what the 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 rumors and like all yeah. that stuff it was just like crazy so it's just like that sort of thing is just like embedded in your brain forever um right. so it was really surreal the first time we met up was like on a facetime and everything it was like oh my god okay you're that's fred Darius. that's wild yeah uh, but yeah we had a really we had a really fun time together it was awesome um so now you know hop popping back over to the all the music stuff so um it seemed like you got super active like in the 2020 2021 aspect was your you know kind of a straightforward question but obviously that's during covid that's during lockdown and all that sort of stuff was that your gateway to staying sane you know as like a straight as like it's just straightforward question is like is that did you kind of commit yourself to like i'm just gonna make music to pass the time during this because it seemed like you got you put out a lot of music around that era yeah i would go (laughs) not really i would say that like the lifestyle of covid in general was sort of my gateway into being sane like i felt like i was like kind of like going insane before it and then what happened like obviously it's just like this totally like world altering like horrible thing but as someone who just like always struggled with like productivity and then just like sort of like working my way up the normal like job ladder and everything uh I felt like COVID was the first time where I was just like, oh, wow, I can really chill now. Everyone's on the same sort of like vibe. Uh, and that sort of like gave me the headspace to be able to like create a lot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely. Um, when, how did the, your 
involvement with the label Terrible come together? Because your first two releases were on that label, which is like this cool, like subsidiary of Excel at some point, like puts out really like, like cool, like they put out like Blood Orange and like these really like awesome, very eclectic style bands. Like how did your connection with that label come together? It was cool. I'd I'd recorded two songs already in in a studio and I had spent a little bit of my own money on it. And then in order to like round out the project, I realized that I needed you know, more money to keep recording at the same studio because I just like really liked the process and I had had some good results there. Um, and so I uh, just DM'd Terrible Records because I had heard of them. You know, I wasn't really like a real head of like anything, yeah. uh, especially like label wise. So I DM'd them the two songs on SoundCloud and then Ethan, who ran the label and is now my manager, got back to me in like 30 minutes and we got coffee the next day and we just kind of, you know, kind of materialized from there. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty impressive that it was just that streamlined that you never, it was wild. I mean, that's what's nice about LA. It's just like the, you know, the convenience of just being able to do a hang with someone that you could potentially work with and just like how, how useful that is instead of going back and forth over text or email or whatever, just like just being able to like, catch a vibe for each other and an in-person hang which is like so invaluable just like moving things forward and you know talking about what what you wanted the project to be and and i don't know it's made everything super easy but i felt like i felt like it was really easy in a way that like doesn't doesn't normally happen but it was great um when listening through a lot of your songs uh in preparation for this um the song california i i Mm. i have to ask as someone who's a native here um when you actually did move to California, did you actually go to the beach often? Or how often do you actually go to the beach? Because as someone from here, my ass, we just, we, I'm on the west, you know, I'm, or I'm on the east side. We don't go there. <laughs> well, I know. So I am on the east side too, but because I'm from the Midwest and was just like grew up obsessed with the ocean, yeah. I go to the beach all the time. Probably two or three times a week. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really do. I put my snorkeling mask on, so I go snorkeling, and I'm swimming. Which, what's constantly. your beach? Where, where do you go? Well, the my favorite place to snorkel is in Palos Verdes, and it's just this cove um, that you kind of like climb down. And what I like about it is like you don't have to like wade out into the water over a bunch of rocks. You kind of like walk out on this big rock, and then you can just jump right in. And as soon as you stick your face in the water, there's all these fish and all these kelp everywhere. So, and it feels almost like protected. So it's like it doesn't feel very sharky. It feels like, I don't know, the water's a little bit warmer because it's South. So I love going there. And, um, I, I prefer to just like bob down the, the one ten as, and just go, like go to the South Bay as opposed to like, you know, taking the, doing the whole one-on-one deal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm there like quite often. Yeah. Mostly just swimming. I applaud you. Were you shocked when you started to meet people from here who were like, yeah, we don't do that. (laughs) Yeah, I was mostly shocked at the lack of people I met from LA when I moved to LA. Oh, I was actually yeah. like, kind of disappointed by it, but uh, I'm always happy to meet meet a local. Yeah, you know? it, uh, that always you know blows people's minds that like every member of Touche, we're all born and raised. We're all so awesome. It's yeah, it's it's uh, it's a point of pride, you know. Oh, it should be. Yeah, it's so sick. Um. Yeah, our our drummer is the only aquatic member of the band because he actually lives on that side of town so he like he surfs every day like him and uh 
Carrie from Deaf Heaven and a couple other like dudes like they have like their like little surf group that they go all the time. But um, yeah, I, I applaud you for making the drive. I mean, that's the thing. It's like you feel like you have to dedicate a whole damn day to it where you're like, OK, it's going to take me like 90 minutes to get there parking and blah, 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 you know. I know because I live on the east side right now, which is I sort of just like, you know, I live there because you just like move to L.A. and you listen to people who are into the same shit as you and everyone's over there. Um, and when you're like 23 um, through like, I don't know, it's just like I really cared about like going to like the fun bars and stuff and like doing all that stuff. And now I could like I just don't care at all like yeah. at all and, the, and like the only thing i really care about is like swimming in the ocean so i'm kind of like a lot of days i'm like what what the hell am i doing all the way over here like why don't i just move to like the part that like this is by uh make right. life a little bit easier for me but also like you're gonna know, get lonely moving. so fast because every like if you do want to get coffee and stuff like that like everybody's on the east side well i gotta ask when you moved to california where did you actually land? Like, have you been in the same part of California or of LA or ha- where did you first land? Cause I'm always curious. No, I had a very like harrowing story through Los Angeles. So I ended up in Hollywood, like five feet off of Hollywood Boulevard. No. Um, yeah. Cause I was 22 and like an idiot. And I just like, I've never been to LA, but I was just like, I don't know anything about this, but I've heard of Hollywood and I've heard of this street. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Oh so my like, god! I don't think I'm gonna like die there or anything. So, sure enough, it's like absolutely the scariest zone in all of LA uh, by far. There's no more terrifying place in the world than I think than Hollywood Boulevard. It's so fun. Uh, Do you, are you are you familiar with the band Drug Church, like Self Defense Family? Like yeah. That? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. The singer of that band, Patrick Kinlan, who's a notable character, he also purposefully lived there just because he was like he's just a glutton for punishment and just wanted to just witness the most insane shit of his life. So for sure. Yeah. I could see people doing it and just like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go like full circle, like irony. And like, this is cool now. And like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I like, I just made a, a mistake. Cause I was an idiot. I was, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, I, like I, I wasn't thinking I was like, you know, so not financially prepared at all. And like, I didn't have time on my side. I didn't really have like a place to say. So I did like, got there i had to make a decision like super fast yeah and it popped up and it was cheap because of course it was yeah and it was just like a crazy year just crazy like just you know not not any place that i wanted to be i've come to appreciate my time there now because now it's like really fun to like kind of like hit those bars and like do the fun like hollywood stuff knowing that you don't have to like go to bed five feet away totally Uh, so uh it's not it's kind of like nice that i have a lay of the land but yeah that was rough i want to tell you about persistent vision records they are a brand new label that has hit the ground running they've just reissued two records from screamo legends page 99 the singles collection as well as document number eight which is an all-time personal favorite of mine but they're not just doing reissues they've also just released a split between habak and lagrimas who are two bands that i've absolutely got my eye on that are so good you can order these great releases directly through persistentvisionrecords.com or through deathwishinc.com give them a follow on instagram at persistent vision records so you don't miss out on what's coming next 
I was curious. I want to ask you about lyrics. Um, when did yep. you start that process? And even when it comes to being a, like a singer, like had you ever done that before? Or was this the first project that you dove into uh, that you had to get comfortable with the idea of singing and also writing lyrics and all that sort of stuff. And like, how long did it take for you to get comfortable doing that? Um, I just like, I'd always like kind of tried, like I tried in my early twenties. I hated it. They were bad. And then I was just like, I'm bad at this. I'm bad at this. And then when I think, you know, something just happened where I got into my late twenties, like 28 years old, where I was like, I feel like, you know, I've lived enough life and this isn't like a, a rule that I'm I'm saying, but it's just like just for me. Like totally. I feel like uh I've lived enough life now where I actually like can talk about things and not like feel silly about it. Like I know I know about things in a way that you can only know about when you're twenty eight as opposed to twenty two. Um, you can you can write a concept album about living off Hollywood Boulevard. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You, for you, sure. you've, had, you've officially had, and you've lived in multiple places. No, like yeah, I, I feel you. For sure. I feel you. So I started writing lyrics and it and it got easy. Um, and then once I once I had it, like it was one of those moments. Like, like I knew I had it. It was like okay, I can like keep doing this and once i like put out my song and people started people liked the lyrics it became a lot easier to like develop sort of like a formula for writing them um so yeah it's a it's an evolving process but it's one that's like still super hard and takes like a lot of time but um yeah yeah i think you know and i was i wanted to ask your how you feel about this but a, a thing that i've noticed is um, which I could also relate to is writing about things that are hyper specific things that might feel really for you that you don't know if anyone else will fully relate to or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. for instance, like the, in the, um, the, the freedom to fuck off song, um, mm -hmm. like adding the line of like the, the, I read the Bible sometimes don't make fun of me. You know, it's a very like mm -hmm. personal line. Um, and feels very for you, but I'll bet that that would be the kind of line that would take you by surprise with how many people probably relate to that and feel comfort in hearing someone else say that. Is that something that um, you've noticed over time? Like the more specific thing you write, the closer people connect with it? Yeah, 100%. And it's just like sort of like proof. It's such a nice feeling because you like realize like how big the world is kind of like it makes the world small and big at the same time where it's just like, Oh, it's a small world because I feel, you know, connected to this, to all these people who are relating with the lyrics now. Uh, but it's big in the sense that it's like, okay, the world's big enough where there's enough people to connect to the specificity of my lyrics to be able to, so where I can like have a fan base. Um, and that's really cool. Cause the lyrics are super specific, but yeah. I try and not make them like, so specific to my own life that they could only like be lived by me. Um, there's some people who can do that where I think they'll just like reference like, you know, real names of like friends and family and talk mm -hmm. about them and, and stuff. And, and there's some people that can pull that off. Um, I don't really think that I can. So it's like, I make the, the specific stuff like as abstract as possible. So it's, if you've, dealt with something similar you can just it, it can just sort of like plug into your own experience sure um, in that way yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh um, with the new record that just came out i was uh i was having a hard time finding any sort of info about 
the recording process and like where you did it was that recorded mm-hmm. over time in different studios was that recorded in a more was, was there like a lot of people collaborating was it all you like what's the story who recorded it um i've worked with two producers uh john debold and aiden spyro uh who are two like awesome dudes that i met for like two separate reasons kind of so i i knew that i wanted to go into the record and do it the same way that i did my old one which is like in a studio where i'm recording all real instruments and all that stuff it's really hard for me to like um you know kind of create anything that i'm like super stoked on like in a bedroom uh and, and that's kind of just like how i i grew up um i, I was like grew up recording in recording studios so um, i knew i wanted to do that um and I didn't have really anyone in mind. I was talking to a publishing company um, just about like doing sessions for them, maybe like figuring something out. And I got sort of paired up with like a day session with um, Aiden, who at the time I was 29 and he was 19. Um, and I remember I was like really hung over and someone texted me. was like, Hey, do you want to work with this? Like, 19 year old kid uh and just like do it like a day hang like session and i was like i really don't uh and and it had nothing to do with anything other than a i hate doing like songwriting sessions it's just like not my vibe at all it seems Um, stressful yeah and then b is like i don't know i was just gonna like hang out with this like random 19 year old kid um but i said yes and i went and we had like the best day ever like we became like best friends we were totally speaking each other's language there was like no pressure attached to it we just like screwed around on synthesizers the whole time um made the foundation to the song uh, home one house which is on my record and we just like instantly hit it off so then i'm just like all right i'm gonna like you know i mean i would just like start hanging with this kid um so we just like started doing some real like like disorganized hangs like not for anything and then when it came time to do a record i knew i wanted to work with like a seasoned engineer just like someone who knew their way around like guitars and guitar tones and bass tones and everything so i got linked up with john debold who was that engineer for il rexhad for a number of years and then he started producing his own records um and we just had like a fun bar hang like talked about the nfl for a while like all right we're gonna be hanging out a lot together might as well be able to like talk about things yeah exactly so we you know we had a great hang and decided to like all work together and that's how it ended up going we were just sort of like you know plugging in our own specific vibes when it was necessary yeah and it was super collaborative and and it was awesome it was just a ton of fun and it felt really easy how long how long was the whole problem was it like a you're writing songs as they go and then you're just making enough to make a record or was there like, okay, we have ideas for all of these songs. Now let's go in on Thursday and now we'll work for four, for four weeks just to get this thing done. Like what, like, was it an overtime or was it like solidified? I would, I would always get the lyrics done and like, at least like the bulk of the structure done on each song before I went into the studio. I can't like, I can't really like create in front of other people. I don't know if I just just like feel like weird about it or whatever, but like, I have to like know that, this is what the song's kind of going to sound like. And then it's sort of up to the producers to put their own spin on it and tell me when I'm being an idiot, tell me when an idea is bad. And we, we switch things up and then um, yada, yada, yada. But 
I would grow in and be like, once I had like four songs, I'd be like, all right, let's hit the studio and like, and like do these. It was really easy, easy for me to think in groups of fours. And I did that with my last record too. Um, oh, okay. So that process took a year. Um, that finished pretty much. And that makes more sense and feels way less stressful. Like you talking about having, you know, getting hit up for, for like writing sessions or collaborative sessions. Like I hear that, you know, living in this town and knowing people on labels who or like people who get signed to, to labels as like, specific as just a person for collaborating with other people i always yeah. I, my hats are off to 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 those situations because like i know what it feels you know even be just being in a band like we you know with us writing a, a record now it's like you always have the thing where you you get into a room and you go all right who's got something you know or and yeah. you got to start from there yeah. but like i can't imagine yeah. meeting someone for the first time sitting down with a complete stranger and being like so what do you got do you got anything so, and you know yeah, you want to hear me sing yeah right like, hell no yeah so that feels so <laughs> Which, so stressful and so and like yeah. you know like you feel very naked in that situation too where it's like are we even on the same page musically you know oh it's an absolute nightmare and there's some people who are just born for it and Thank God, because like we would never have gotten songs like Toxic without it, you know, <laughs> like, right. like, uh, but it's just like totally it, 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 it's like what we were talking about, like UCB or sketch comedy or just like doing stuff on the fly. It's just like I'm really not like an on the fly guy in any aspect of my life. I feel like even when I'm like having a conversation with a friend, I like rehearsed it beforehand. Yeah. Uh, it's just like it's just like how I've always operated. And yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I, I don't know. And don't know. and how did the uh cuz obviously you're on Capital now. How did that yeah. thing come together? That had to have been a pretty in, just wild situation. Yeah, it was really nice. It was like it was just really nice. I had a couple like label offers um some indies and then Capital was like the the major involved and I, it was just like a really great deal. Just absolutely hit it off with the people that I knew were going to be on my team if we signed so um it just felt like a super uh, everyone's just like such a homie and like i don't know no one gave me like shit about anything they're all just like really like into the record because i had already done like a couple songs um and i had already done what i thought was going to be the most like far out one um so and they loved it so i was like all right well nothing's gonna get weirder than that yeah so, right yeah uh, yeah so so uh, this is gonna work out and I just kind of like turned in the album and it's great and it's you know try to hang out with them whenever they're in town and yeah it's just, it's good it's good peeps it's, it's it's just like great vibes yeah it's so it's funny like nick uh from my band who obviously is involved in capital records or works at capital records uh he's you know someone who handles stress really well and he's someone even though i know it makes him also crazy um mm -hmm. whenever you're brought up or he brings you up it's like i could tell that you're a a, a big shining moment it or like part of his working day you know like he's really enjoyed yeah. uh all his interactions with you or whatever so um uh, yeah well, i feel the same way yeah it's so, it's so funny to me that you know, you hear horror stories about major labels and yada, yada, yada. And then it's so funny about me that I signed to like Capitol Records and the first person that I started working on plays guitar and touche, like, or already like a huge yeah. fan of the band. I'm just like hanging out with Nick all the time. I did a photo shoot. And then like the guy who supplied all the clothes for the photo shoot was uh, Alex from Fiddlehead. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, so I got to like hang with him. Just like huge fans of these dudes. And I was like, how is this my major label experience? I'm just like, this is wild. It's like, it's, this does not make sense. Right. But, uh, it's been it's been super fun. And it's also just like helped. We all kind of like speak the same language, right? Can like We can just like pull references from like old pop punk bands that we all know and love, especially for like art direction and stuff. So it's been it's been really cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's super yeah. funny. Like uh, Nick will tell me he'll be like, I met somebody today who like I noticed they had they had like tattoos uh like like they're wearing a long sleeve but i noticed they had tattoos or like or like you could yeah. you could tell that they used to have plugs and you're just like okay yeah. what's what's the backstory yeah. here <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> like what are we gonna actually end up being able to connect on to where like you and i can just can become cool on like a human level as opposed to just business level like what do you what are you hiding yeah, yeah, in yeah. your past yeah right yeah for sure. Um, oh, that's so funny. Uh, well, dude, this has been awesome. Let me hit you with the last question, which is uh, when yeah. was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? Um, I think it was last summer and I think it was playing Bonnaroo. Um, it was, uh, you know, this whole experience, especially, it's just like felt like it's kind of like, you know, COVID, I was working on stuff, but there was no like real human proof that it was resonating with any. Thing. I had the whole online thing, but um, it was nice to see, you know, the shows start like, you know, selling out and playing in front of crowds, but it became something that was like, yeah, you know, I was so anxious about it all that I was never like present for it. And it took me a real, like a full year to get comfortable playing live. And Bonnaroo was, you know, I'd played Lollapalooza, I played Outside Lands, I played, you know, bunch of other festivals um but Bonnaroo was the sneaky one because <clears throat> it was like the last festival I knew I was going to play on this album cycle which was like two years so I kind of like had the festival experience in my head like what it was going to be so I wasn't like super stoked on it I was just like all right we're doing another one right I mean these are these are so fun but I didn't think of it as anything other than like something I'd already done but it was just like the specific way where like things worked out where first of all, I didn't know Bonnaroo was such like an insular, like just vibe of a festival. I mean, it's just like like Burning Man culture. It's like people just like go go to Bonnaroo. They buy their Bonnaroo tickets without even looking at the lineup, and then they like study all the bands. Uh, and that was just like just a crazy vibe. And we were playing at like seven forty at night, and for whatever reason, it was like Thursday night, so everyone's setting up camp. And I think like 15,000 people just got bottlenecked into my tent and we played for so like, yeah, around like 15,000 people. It was insane. Oh my but God. it was something that I didn't know that was going to happen until I walked on stage. Um, and I didn't have time to process it or, or even get nervous about it. Um, so it was kind of like I was fully there uh, just being like, oh, God damn. All right. Sick. This is fine and this is this is really awesome and i i felt proud of myself for i think the first time which is cool uh and and yeah that was it that was definitely it just like hope to expand upon that and have more of those moments i guess yeah there yeah those festivals can be you know they can become a little bit like a circus in a way where you're like oh it's just the same thing but at a different background there's a different you know there's, yeah. tre- there's trees right. today there's you know, it's just yeah. a field today or whatever. And, you know, mm. the Euro- like summer European festivals are, are absolutely like that, where it's like it's a lot of the same bands every single day. And, you're, and it, mm. it, it can feel very routine. 
Um, and then sometimes, you know, and sometimes you're like, oh, we played to, you know, uh, 400 people today. Uh, mm-hmm. We played to 200 people today. We played to a thousand people today. But then there's the times where all of a sudden you just walk out and you're like, oh my God, like, I can't believe we're playing to this many people. Like, where did, the, how, yeah. why is where, this where happening? Where did you all come from? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, you know, sometimes it's, it's, you know, obviously it's a part, it's who you are and who they want to see. But at the other time, it sometimes just the, the festival schedule just 1000% lands in your favor where you're like, yeah. oh, like, yeah what is on the other stage is so sonically different than what we're doing that this is actually going to be extremely beneficial for us because we don't have to compete with something, you know, massive. Yeah. That's what it, it really felt like. It felt like, you know, Thursday night and the festival gates like just opened. You're not expecting much, but I just like didn't realize it's just like, all right. So everyone in the state of freaking Tennessee yeah. is just showing up so stoked for Bonnaroo and they're wearing their outfits. They've got their tents. They're coming in. They're just like bum rushing the gates. And it was just like, you know, it's just like kind of like set off the whole weekend. Yeah. I like don't, don't think it really like exists for other, other festivals. I mean, the Bonnaroo fan base is, is i think they're counting down like all year like oh like little kids counting down for christmas kind of and it was it was super cool it was super cool that. they're just like it seemed like everyone there was just like there's live music happening can you believe it oh, so, awesome. yeah and they came to my tent which i'm super super grateful for because it was a really special night for for me and, and the band it's awesome that's amazing uh this has been great yeah. man thank you so much this is thanks for doing this yeah thanks so much for having me it's been been so awesome And that is our show. Thank you so much to Petey for coming on. And thank you for listening. This episode was edited, produced, and made to sound so great by my boy, Ryan Rainbow. Shout out to him. And reminder, there is a bonus episode available right now. If you head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you are listening to this, leaving a positive rating and review. Those things help so much. Hope you have a good rest of your week. Take care of yourself. Be good. Bye-bye.